This is the Extra Innings Podcast. We're going to Extra Innings. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down all the latest with the blue. Hosted by Dodger insider and award-winning reporter. You have one for most entertaining talk show host to listen to while on the way to work. David Bassett. Welcome to another edition of the Extra Innings Podcast presented by Corona. Find the fine life and please drink responsibly. We've got another great episode for you this week as Kevin Gross, that's right, Kevin Gross, you may remember that name. Kevin Gross used to pitch for the Montreal Expos and also for your Los Angeles Dodgers and probably the reason why some of you may not remember Kevin Gross is because he pitched on some Dodger teams that were not exactly that successful, but in 1992, pitched a no-hitter, and I wanted to use this canvas to be able to talk to Kevin Gross, one of the forgotten pitchers in Dodger no-hitter history there. So Kevin Gross will join us to talk about his no-hitter in 1992. It was a season the Dodgers lost 99 games, and Gross's no-hitter, probably the shining light of that entire miserable season for the 1992 Dodgers. It was a season that saw the emergence of Eric Karros, who won the Rookie of the Year in the National League in 1992, beating out Reggie Sanders of the Cincinnati Reds. So outside of Karros winning the National League Rookie of the Year and Kevin Gross pitching his no-hitter against the San Francisco Giants, by the way, 1992 was a season to forget. And many of you have. <laughs> and that's why I wanted to celebrate Kevin Gross on the podcast this week. Also, Andre Ethier will check in from the woods somewhere, Montana or Wyoming. Not sure where he is, but he did send me a photo of catching a rainbow sea bass. So, Ethier's travels have taken him somewhere. So we'll see uh we'll see what he has to say from wherever he is. All right. We have a few things to get to before we get to Kevin Gross and Andre Ethier. Of course, you want to know my thoughts on Trevor Bauer. And look, Trevor Bauer probably won't pitch again for the Dodgers until at the very earliest, July 24th. Because on July 23rd, there's a hearing for him to be able to refute the allegations that were brought against him by a woman that said that he sexually assaulted her. And we will see how that goes. But you know, Trevor has admitted to doing some stuff that she requested. And in the real world, it's over the line. And look, there's a standard to be held wearing a Dodger uniform. And this is embarrassing no matter what direction it goes in favor of Trevor or against Trevor. This is embarrassing for the Dodgers, and especially after they go to the White House and Joe Biden says all those great things about what it means to be part of the Dodger organization, and you have this looming over you while Biden is saying those words. So I know the Dodgers can't be thrilled with the situation, no matter what they say publicly. How can you be? 
You can't be thrilled that one of your pitchers has been put on administrative leave by Major League Baseball because of the allegations brought against him. But for those of you that are wondering when he's going to pitch again, he is not going to pitch before the All-Star break, and I wouldn't anticipate him pitching before that hearing on July 23rd. So that's as much as I want to say about it because no matter what's put out there publicly, until we get the details in a court of law, we really can't pass judgment on any of it because there's details I'm sure that we don't know about and probably won't know about even after the hearing or even if this goes to trial. We won't know about it. So I don't feel comfortable talking about it. That's why I've been hesitant on Dodger Talk to talk about it any further. And right here, even though it's a podcast, come on, I'm not going to just talk out of my butt. I'm going to be careful with my words because we don't know the details yet. But it's not a good situation anytime a pitcher is put on administrative leave by Major League Baseball to investigate allegations of sexual assault. I mean, can we just agree on that? That's not a good thing. And it's not a good thing when the Dodger rotation is as thin as it is. And that's why I feel very comfortable talking about the ramifications baseball-wise. And I'm sure his teammates are not thrilled with him because he has left them hanging right here. And I'm not sure how the Dodgers find a way to fill that fifth spot. It's got to be via trade. And if they decide to go with young guys, I guess it's been done before. And I think we all have to set our expectations of the fact that you don't have an all-star, you don't have a Cy Young Award winner in every single spot of your rotation. Uh, Those are unrealistic expectations. So uh, if it is Josiah Gray, if it is... If it is uh, Ryan Pepio, if it is some other uh, starting pitcher that does not have the resume of a Kershaw, of a Bueller, of a Urias, or even of a Trevor Bauer, uh, I think that's realistic. And don't forget, the Dodgers are already way past the luxury tax threshold and are into that stratosphere of having a draft pick move down 10 spots next year. Not to mention the 40 to 45% tax on $247 million. So that's another layer to all this as far as trying to add starting pitching depth. And by the way, Andrew Friedman was already looking for depth for his rotation even before this Bauer drama started. So that's where they're at. Another thing I wanted to bring up and celebrate, something that is positive news, is Dave Roberts making his best decision as Dodger manager, and that is selecting Reggie Smith, the great Dodger and great Dodger hitting coach of yesteryear, to be part of his staff on the National League All-Star coaching team in Denver. And Reggie Smith, in case you don't know, has meant a lot not only to the Dodgers on the field, but ever since he stopped playing and was a hitting coach for a period of time in the 90s, he has extended careers, including Tim Wallach. Tim Wallach was an aging veteran when he came to the Dodgers in 93, 94, 
and he had told me on numerous occasions that Reggie Smith had extended his career by the teachings that Reggie showed him when he was the hitting coach. And John Carlos Stanton has gone to him. Many other players have gone to Reggie Smith and continue to do so at his Encino baseball camp out there to uh, help them get back on track. And if I was a Major League Baseball player, there's only one guy I would go to, and that's Reggie Smith. Reggie Smith teaches the fundamentals of hitting. He doesn't teach this launch angle crap. He teaches backspin, teaches balance, teaches knowing yourself as a hitter. And a couple of years ago, I went out to interview Reggie Smith at his Encino baseball camp. And here's some of the things that he imparts as far as wisdom of hitting. Yes, uh, and they're no different than I think a lot of them. That's good balance, uh, good eyesight, and a good mind. It sounds like those are the type of pyramid of success things that you hear from John Wooden. Yes, you have to start from the foundation. You need to put your cornerstones in and then fill in around it and as soon as you finish uh, level 1A then you move to B and so forth. It's it's difficult to if you were at level 1 and you try to jump to level 5 if you struggle there you don't fall back to 4 or 3 or 2 you fall all the way back to 1 because you didn't do the foundational work at each one of those levels and it'll ultimately it'll get you to the top to where my students it's what's important for me is for me to teach them to be the best hitting instructor they ever had so they have to rely on themselves be responsible take pride p-r-i-d-e and that stands for personal responsibility in daily endeavors so take responsibility up there with and use the information that's provided to you how it works for you and and be as fundamentally sound of both mind body and spirit as possible reggie i'm curious uh, with this new generation of players that are so obsessed with hitting home runs how do you handle that you explain to them that it starts with you being able to make good solid contact consistently and with the new analytics and the algorithms that are out there, you have to give yourself the chance to be able to execute those things on a consistent basis, especially if you're looking to play on a regular basis. So, yes, I use the analytics, but I teach the players how to achieve them. So, Because what good is the information if you're not looking to improve them? So that's that's what I teach. I teach improvement in how they do it naturally rather than just looking for something specific, a launch angle or exit speed or spin rate and all of that. Now, there, there are ways that, uh, that are more naturally you're able to achieve those things. And the one thing that really resonated with me when we were visiting is nobody's the same. Well, you're doing the things that you're supposed to do that day. Yes, there is no I in team, but it's still a game that's played individually, collectively. So therefore, you need to do your job. Be responsible for doing your job. And as a group, what happens, that works, and you, you start to complete the circle. And now I know I can rely on that guy on my left, and I can rely on that guy on my right, and he can rely on me. Similar to your Dodger teams. <laughs> Similar to our Dodger team. That's right. If we, if we did things for each other. 
and that is the great Reggie Smith, who will be part of Dave Roberts' coaching staff in Denver for the All-Star Game. And it couldn't happen to a better guy, a better baseball person. And just a quick history lesson, don't forget, Reggie Smith was part of the first quartet on a team to hit 30 home runs. Dusty Baker, Steve Garvey, Ron Say, and Reggie Smith each hit 30 home runs in the same season back in 1977, which is fitting because the Rockies were the next team to do it 20 years later and obviously a mile high above sea level with the Blake Street Bombers, Bichette, Galarraga, Walker, and Castilla were the next quartet to do that, but it was the Dodgers of 1977 with Reggie Smith that were the first team in history to have a quartet that hit 30 home runs the same year. All right, I told you this is a great canvas to share former Dodgers and great Dodger moments with you. And here he is driving somewhere from Montana to Reno, Nevada, the one and only Kevin Gross, who had a no-hitter against the San Francisco Giants in 1992, 15-year Major League veteran, and every teammate that he shared the field with I know (laughs) respected him. And Kevin, thanks a lot for the time. Appreciate it. Well, I appreciate the call, and uh, yeah, we're just cruising along a little vacation, uh, but uh, and and hopefully, <laughs> I lost you there for a second, but hopefully, we won't have any problems with the phone call here. But uh, yeah, good, good to hear from you guys. Hey, Kevin, I was mentioning that uh, in 1992, the Dodgers lost 99 games, and maybe the only shining remember. <laughs> <laughs> the only shining moment was your no hitter and Eric Karros's emergence that season. Am I uh, missing anything? No, you know, I I think we had a little better team than that, but um, you know, it was it was a it was a tough year for us defensively. It seemed like and scoring runs, but. Uh, yeah. You know, had a few highlight moments and and go from there. Not only did you throw your no-hitter as a Dodger in 92, but you threw it against the San Francisco Giants, Kevin. That will never be forgotten. Yeah, that was quite a moment. Um, I know I, I put the hurt on the Giants a little bit in that when I got there with L.A. for the four years. But uh, it was actually on my wife's birthday, too, and she was out with a bunch of gals having dinner when that happened. So, it made a really special day. August 17th, 1992 at Dodger Stadium. So when your wife heard about you throwing that no-hitter, um, did she leave the dinner or did she, uh, did she? how did she find out that it was finally done? I think they went to dinner and then they were getting in the car to, to do something. They heard it on the radio and, sat, and then her and her friends sat in the car and listened to it. And then, yeah, then we had a little gathering at the house when I got home that night just to kind of celebrate. Do you still have a baseball from it or anything that you kept from that night? Um, yes, I do. Yeah, I had a couple of baseballs, and then I, um, my whole uniform and everything I put in a glass case uh, that I kind of displayed in my game room. Yeah. Number 46, hanging in the gross yes, household, sir. right? <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. We put that all in one little deal, and uh, yeah, it's pretty special. So pretty cool. Hey, Kevin, uh, you were 31 years old at that point in time in your career. Um, Did you ever believe you had that in you? If I remember correctly, the start before 
you uh, had a one hitter or you had no hits through seven innings, if I'm not mistaken. So did you feel like you were in that zone? You know, uh, it's it's interesting you say that because, um, you know, I was uh, kind of a, I guess you might, you know, according to um, a media and, and TV and ESPN and all that back in the day, you know, I was basically a 500 pitcher. But um, that, that year, um, I felt great every time I picked up the ball. Like when I was in the bullpen and into my games, I had a lot of really good starts. And I actually put up some really good numbers that year. Probably one of my better better numbers, you know, ERA ERA wise, and uh, you know, still had innings pitched and all that stuff. But you know, we just had a a, a year where we struggled winning. Is there such a thing as a zone for a pitcher? Because, like you said, you felt good every time you took the baseball, and especially in that period of time of August, you always hear about hitters talking about the hitter zone. What about pitchers? Yeah, for me, you know, I always got in really good shape and then, you know, had a nice routine going. And that year, I, I don't know what it was. It just seemed like I thought I, thought I could do really well and win ball games uh, when I was coming out of the bullpen. That it just extremely, you know, 30 starts, I felt really good. <laughs> it, was, it was really weird. Yeah, your ERA that year was 317. You made uh, 30 starts that year in 1992. What do you, what stands out to you the most about that night at Dodger Stadium when you threw that no-hitter? Is there flashes of batters, or is there, after all these years, what stands out to you the most? You know, um, people ask me, like, oh, did you know, how, when did you know, or what did you think? And I was just pitching, you know, and I, I didn't ever, you know, like, I guess you might say never thought I'd ever have a chance to throw a no hitter in the big leagues, but you never know. And and then uh, there was a, a line drive to the infield uh, by Robbie Thompson, if I recall, and and Jose grabbed that and he came in after that and basically told me he says, "Hey, you're going to get this," and I was like, you know, okay, <laughs> you know, I, I was just going along, you know, normal business, but you know, after, when I got to Willie McGee for the last out. And I knew he's a bad ball hitter, and I just, I kind of gave him a pitch he could probably hit a little better than he did, but he kind of inside out a breaking ball and hit it in the left for the last out. So, but I, I knew I was in, when I had him up there, I was like, God, if I get him out, I got a no hitter, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I was, you know, maybe you can give us an education on what goes through a pitcher and catcher's mind. Uh, when should, you know, in the fifth inning, everybody starts to freak out about a no-hitter. In the seventh inning, they really start to lose their mind. As a pitcher on the mound and that battery of pitcher and catcher, when does that start to hit you that, you know what, this is attainable? You know, I didn't. I never thought of it like that during that game until, like I said, until maybe like the last out, you know, like I was like, oh my gosh, you know, if I get Willie McGee out, I'm, at, I'm in there, but... Um, you know, I thought about it a little bit on that catch from Jose Offerman. I was like, wow, that's the first ball they've really hit hard all day, you know? Yeah. But, uh, um, you know, Sosha was such a great catcher and calling the game. I I rarely shake him off. Um, and I let him call the whole game, you know? And if I did shake him off, he'd call timeout and run out and ask me why I didn't want to throw that pitch. You know? <laughs> that's the kind of guy he was. But, um I really relied on Sosha for a lot of my games with him. Um, I let him call the pitches and just give me one less thing I had to think about, and I could just bear down and try to make a pitch. And 
I, you know, I felt like when I was with L.A., it made me a lot better pitcher. I had a lot better numbers. Um, you know, just being around some of those guys like Oral and, and so should learning how to pitch. Hey, Kevin, that's interesting that you say that because the art of catching seems to have gone to the wayside and all they care about now is the framing numbers, but not the feel a catcher has for his pitcher. Mike Sosha um, caught more games than any other Dodger in the history of the franchise for a reason. And on a night like that, does his focus pitch to pitch, uh, is it contagious towards the pitcher? Oh, I think so. I, the good thing about him is I think he knows what everybody's capable of doing, and, and, and if he doesn't, he'll learn right away, you know, somebody new or a younger player coming through. But, you know, there there were times where Tommy would come to the mound or Paranoski and Sosha's out there, and he asked him, hey, how's he throwing? You know, he, he asked Sosha, am I good enough to stay in still, you know? Wow. And uh, and Sosha would give him a direct answer, like, yeah, hey, he's good. He's throwing the ball good, and sometimes you'd say, you know, maybe uh, not so good. Like maybe she's done, but um, yeah, I, I think he gets a good feel of what you're doing and how the game's rolling along, and and uh, one of the best for sure. Hey, Kevin, I, you won't say this, but since you brought up Jose Offerman taking that ground ball from Robbie Thompson that year in '92, I I followed you guys, and I've lived in Los Angeles my whole life, so I do remember seasons like that. And I think uh-huh. you throwing a no-hitter with Jose Offerman playing shortstop behind you that year, I mean, that's even more incredible considering he made 40-plus <laughs> errors. <laughs> yeah, he had a he had a tough season that year, but he also became a really valuable player in the big leagues and had some great, great years. He became a good hitter and stuff. So, you know, he, he, went, he went through some stuff like a lot of us do. I mean – you know, I've had my ups and downs in the game, too, and you can criticize all you want, but, you know, he managed to stay in the big leagues and have a, a really good career, and so did I. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, it takes a lot of hard work. You know, I remember the day where Carroll is out there, you know, he didn't look like a bona fide first baseman and the moves and the arm and throwing and stuff, but, gosh, he worked at it really hard and became a, a superstar, you know? Hey, Kevin, you threw to Mike Piazza his rookie year after Mike Sosha's career was uh, was over in 93. Uh, how, uh-huh. would, how would you classify Mike Piazza as a receiver, as a catcher? Well, I think, he, you know, he, he got in – when he got in the big leagues, he needed some work as a catcher and learning everybody and, you know, a lot of hype about him and all the Tommy Lasorda stuff, you know, so uh, – he he grinded out and became a, a pretty good catcher. Uh, you know, he, he didn't know the game probably like, of course, Mike being in the league all this time. And when I come to, when I came there, Mike, you know, I could just rely on him calling a game. But uh, it was a little more challenging. I had to really, you know, uh, think a little bit more. And, you know, we had to work together and learn each other and stuff. But Mike was an, a great player, worked very hard. I uh, really respect what he ended up doing in the game, and um, he became a really good, a really good catcher. And, and plus, he was an unbelievable hitter. You know. Yeah, I I always heard and, Al Leiter uh, talk about Mike when he got to the Mets, and he always said that he uh-huh. was underrated as a defensive catcher. But obviously, Al got him uh, after he had uh, six or seven years under his belt with you guys. Right. Yeah. So there you go. You know, I mean, it's just, he stuck in there, he, he, you know, he was in there and he worked hard at it and became, 
I thought he was a pretty good defensive catcher, and he had a great arm. And and my God, when he went in up to bat, I mean, I think everybody overlooked what he was doing behind the plate because he he was a masher, you know, up there at the plate. So um, you got to give him a lot of credit. He makes it in the Hall of Fame. And actually, you know, when he was at the Hall of Fame, he mentioned uh, my name and in, in 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 his speech along with some of the other guys, the, uh, the pitching staff, and say he he actually said that he had a very demanding pitching staff his first year, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. So you tell, that tells you how he felt, you know? Hey, uh, Kevin, when you hear your name mentioned at a hall of fame speech by a guy that you knew back in 1993, uh, what does that mean to you uh, that he didn't forget? Oh, it meant a lot. Uh, I was super surprised, and I was like, oh, my God, you know, that was really, actually really nice of him to say it first, you know. And, uh, yeah, I, I a lot of people heard that that are my family and friends, you know, and they were like, hey, you know, Mike Sosha mentioned your name. And I'm like, no matter no matter how you look at it, you know, we're all humans in it. And it, and it was a cool thing to hear. That's awesome. Um, and it's great to hear yeah. your perspective on all this, too. Your former yeah. teammate with the Expos and Dodgers, Tim Wallach, told me that you are <laughs> a black belt in karate. Is that true? Are you lethal with the karate? Oh, I don't think so. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of training and worked out there with Steve Carlton all those years. And and then I worked out with Jim God in, in California with a lot of the hop keto guys and stuff. But I did do a lot of training and you know, I achieved a couple of belts here and there, but um, not, I'm nothing like Jim God. Jim God is the one you got to be afraid of. <laughs> um, but you know, working working alongside of Steve Carlton with the Gus Hoffling routine helped me tremendously in my career physically, um, and I felt pretty pretty physically fit and uh, invincible conditioning wise. You know, flexible, strong, never had any arm injuries, so I attribute to that to all that kind of work of the martial arts. Yeah, and I was going to ask you, uh, did karate translate to uh, pitching? Because I know it's about the core. I know it's about balance. Did the karate training translate to you being better or more physically ready to pitch every fifth day? No, no doubt that when I got brought into the Philly organization, we actually did some, they, they called it Kung Fu, but um, you know, if you want to call it however you want to call it. But um, when I did that, no doubt did the core work, the leg work, the shoulder recovery um, routines that we had and the body recovery routines were unbelievable. I mean, I, I could pitch and throw almost every day of the rest, you know, most of my career because of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree that it helped me tremendously. I still can throw baseball. I just turned 60. Wow. So we'll see you again at an old timers game on the mound. Yeah, I hope so. I, I'm 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 sad that we didn't get to do it last year and I've been doing the fantasy camps with the Dodgers the, the last five years and didn't get to do it last year, but I'm looking forward. That's always fun to go back and see everybody and do that. That's great. Well I hope you and your family have been uh safe and healthy over the course of the last year and a half. We have. We have. Um I recently moved up north last year. Uh, by one, my uh, son Chad and uh, my other grandson, and we're living up in Redding, California. We bought a little 22-acre little ranch, and we're just kind of staying out of the, the way of everything. But we we did take a little trip recently, right now, and we're 
went up and did some fly fishing in Montana with some friends. So That's great. And I guess the most important question is, does Kevin Gross still have that great stash that he used to rock with the Dodgers? <laughs> well, along with a goatee, but it's awful gray. Wow. All right. <laughs> I love it. I can't wait to see that in yep. person again. All right, buddy. <laughs> Thanks a lot for sharing all this uh, with us, Kevin. I love having you on the podcast, and uh, you definitely will never be forgotten as long as I'm doing Dodger Talk every August 17th. I will remind people about the no-hitter that you threw back in 1992. Well, I really appreciate that, and uh, I have to say that uh, the Dodgers have been really good to me since I played there and retired, and They've invited me to a lot of events, and you know I did Cooperstown for them, and I've done alumni games for them, with them, and and then the fantasy camp. So I'm I'm uh, I'm some Dodger blue, definitely. Love it. Once a Dodger, always a Dodger, <laughs> like Tommy Lasorda right? used to say, right? You got it. I feel that way too. Okay, Kevin. We'll see you out at Dodger Stadium soon. Okay, thanks, David. My favorite. Uh, thank you. I'm glad to see you're not wearing khakis. Your favorite. And not everyone holds themselves to a high physical standard around here, but... Uh, Probably not Vasse's favorite. I know no one listens to your show, so... <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Just kidding. DV is joined by Andre Ethier. All right. This week, Andre Ethier is not at his house. He's somewhere else. You sent me... <laughs> A picture of you in a river holding a rainbow trout. So what the heck? Where are you? Uh, hey, Dave, what's going on? And, yes, I'm not at my house. I am not in Southern California. Uh, left there at the end of June and headed up to the Wyoming-Colorado border. A, uh, I guess you'd call it a fishing ranch-type place. It's a ranch up here on the Colorado-Wyoming border near Dixon, Wyoming, and I'm uh, – at a place where you can get a little fly fishing in, um, let the kids ride horses and, uh, you know, just let me and, uh, you know, my wife go out there on the, on the little snake river and cast our little hearts away and see if we can come up, uh, with a nice trout. Well, out here in LA, there's a place that was called Troutdale where they loaded the pond with a bunch of trout, you put some cheese on the hook, and you were guaranteed to catch a trout. So I kind of feel like that's what you're taking place in. That that river must be loaded with trout, and they make sure all the tourists get a trout. <laughs> you know what? Um, sometimes I question that, but uh, and I would believe that if I wasn't uh, almost completely shut out um, yesterday when I was fishing. Uh, it was a little more of a, of a rough day, um, you know, and that's uh, where we're at. But, hey, I, is, is Troutdale still around? Is that still a place in L.A.? I would love to visit it and see if it is uh, if it is, and try your cheese method. Does Gouda work better than uh, a cheddar? <laughs> no, it was just cheddar. It was the Velveeta singles uh, that I used uh, to use. And, unfortunately. A Munster, a Munster with a little red on it. It attracts them even better, so it's illegal. Sure, sure. I just rolled a ball <laughs> of cheese on the hook, and I would catch something. But, unfortunately, the pond has dried up. Kind of like your career Ooh. dried up. Oh yeah, hey, it's all right. It happens. It happens. You can, you can, you can have those digs at me. Do those things. Um, you know what? I had a blast with the fans two weeks ago out in uh, left field, and I'm going to take that. Hey, you are kind of a new ambassador for the Dodgers, uh, and you are going to be the representative for the Dodgers at the draft. Right before oh, 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 All Star Sunday, I don't know for a lot of yeah, I don't know for a lot of release yet, but yes, I am. Uh, 
actually here in Colorado. Uh, not necessarily all the way for that purpose, but some of it is um, here in Colorado. And we'll be going uh, Sunday into Denver uh, to be a part of the, I guess it's a new format, new uh, type thing where they're actually having kind of similar to the NFL or NBA uh, draft where they're having the top prospects in uh, the center, their uh, convention center in downtown Denver, part of the all-star festivities. And they're going to pick, uh, you know, the first couple picks. And I believe I'm going to be receiving the phone call from LA, wherever the scouting department and the, uh, and Friedman and all his team are sitting there deciding who to pl- pluck off as their first, second, third, fourth pick. And I'll be there having the me- uh, message relayed to me, which then I will uh, pass the message and announce it over uh, whatever system they have there. So, yeah, excited to be a part of that. Uh, got a, you know, a, a nice call a few weeks ago asking if I could uh, make it to, uh, you know, Denver to represent for it. And I was more than happy to, uh, you know, represent the Dodgers and a great organization, you know, that it is. So you'll get the phone call, and then whoever they draft, will they take a picture with you holding a Dodger hat? I don't think – I don't know. I, actually, I don't know much more than – they told me that I have to have a nice suit and uh, be here, be there, and um, it's kind of back into the All Star thing. I have to. I think it's a pretty long day where you're from 12 to 9 p.m. Uh, you're, you know, at the at the mercy of MLB and uh, what they want. And there's a luncheon before, then there's a kind of a dress rehearsal for all the all the uh, prospects and the teams and how things are going to go. And I think they get live at a at a certain time, and the draft's going to be live and. Um, it's going to be, you know, a lot of surprise and happy and elated uh, families and young men who are going to give it a chance to go out and, uh, you know, sign that major league contract with whatever team picks them. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad it's, it's crazy full circle 20 years ago, um, you know, to this, to this, uh, you know, year, um, I was drafted for the first time out of junior college at the time, but, uh, you know, now 20 years later, I'm getting a chance to be a part of the process on the, on the other end. And calling it and representing the Dodgers, what an honor! And uh, you know, really uh, excited to you know be there and be the guy that um, you know can now represent the Dodgers, uh, you know, in this facet of uh, you know the organization. Hold up, man! You're telling me that Andre Ethier is going to be sitting in some hall in Denver from 12 in the afternoon until nine at night? Are you serious? You're going to spend nine hours at a draft? Yeah, why not? It's fun. It's baseball. I love it. <laughs> I love That's it. not baseball. Like it's a draft. But you know what? It's all a part of it, Dave. And you know, you you know, all all that gets you excited. It's fun. It, it really doesn't is. get it's, me excited. The MLB draft does not get me excited because well, the majority of these hey, guys don't you know go what? anywhere. You're, you're you're hey, look at our field. Look at those guys that we have on there. There's a lot of prospects on that field that came up through this organization. So it should get you excited. Hey, who knows? It might be the next Gavin Lux, the, the Corey huh. Seager, the Clayton Kershaw sitting out there uh, in that draft that we call uh, this Sunday. So, yeah, I, I think it definitely means something. Um, and it, and you can't put any light to it that it doesn't. Cause, uh, yeah, I can. The Dodgers. It means it's, hey, it's a Dodgers. long shot. It's not the NFL draft. It's not the NBA draft. So don't try to sell hey, us a bill of goods. I'm just telling you right now, the Dodgers have done a, a great job. I was the first-hand testament seeing it over, you know, the later half of my career, how they did a great job drafting players and graduating them to the big leagues, and they made an impact. 
All right, you know, that's fine. Career. That's fine. So, All right, fine. Okay, that. you're just you going to be you there. You can't say that. Okay, come on. That. You, okay, that's fine. You're going to be there, they but hold off on all the other stuff. They drafted a Hall of Famer, Dave. Uh, yeah, that was in 2006, and he was the seventh overall pick, not the 29th overall pick. Hey, hey there's when when was uh, Cody Bellinger drafted? Well, he is he's not a Hall of Famer. He's uh, only hitting oh, 230 he, uh, since uh, August of 2019. But he's an MVP. He's an MVP. And Corey so, Seager. Yeah, Corey Seager was a thirteen number thirteen draft. But there you go. So I mean, so right. good picks. Well, okay. The only time you're going to get attention is if the Dodgers draft a kid out of Thousand Oaks High named Max Muncy. Did you know that? Hey, I hear There's you. a chance they might draft you. him. I hear you. All right. So that will be the only time I'll give it any attention if Max Muncy is drafted at twenty nine. Uh, 29. All right. I hear you. Okay. But, hey, there's, there's guys out there. I know you wanted to mean it. When were you drafted? When were you drafted? And you became was, a, a really good big league player more second, more than any rounder, other first know, rounder. In the 60s, I was drafted in the 60s. I can't remember. 63, 64, 5, I don't know. But in the second round, uh, yeah, by the Oakland A's. So, um, second hey, round. Okay. I'm sorry they didn't invite you to do this, and you're – Going to be sitting there holding the mic. I would have said no. I would have said no. If it was 12 to 9, I would have said no. Hey, I'm happy to do it. Happy to be a part of it um, and represent the Dodgers, like I said. Okay. All right. You should That's too. fine. Jeez. Okay. We get it. You're going to represent the Dodgers. That's fine. All right. Something that actually does matter in Denver the All Star game. Shohei Otani is going to be showcased. It's already started. But Chris Taylor. Why do we care about him? Why do we care about him? Well, I know. I'm just saying get ready for that because the hype machine has already started. Hey, he's a great player. I, I, I love what he's doing, but he's not a, he has nothing to do with this Dodger team and what we're doing. Come on. This is not a Dodger podcast. It's extra innings. Oh, all right. Anyway. Get ready Get ready for the Otani hype machine. I'm just warning you. It's going to be the Shohei Otani All-Star game because they're already starting to push that. Yeah, I like it. They well, Rightfully so. I mean, the guy who has 30, is, is he still have 31 or did he have another one today or yesterday or whenever? So he has 31. I mean, he pitches well. Um, two-way player. I mean, when's the last time MLB besides – I can't name anyone, but then Babe Ruth, who I can remember, has been a two-way player who's You're been right. any good on both sides. So, rightfully so. I mean, he rightfully so should get the attention. Um, and anytime you can be on a team, and I know Mike Trout's been hurt, but you can overshadow Mike Trout, um, you know you're doing something. He's special, but I feel like I'm starting to get uh, full of Otani being shoved down my throat every turn. Hey, you I know, look. you know what I do like. You know what I do like is that our guy. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Our and we mentioned this and we said this and we we told the fans, the Dodger fans, to pay attention to this guy and to cherish him because we don't know what's gonna happen. Our guy Chris Taylor, CT making and getting voted to be an All Star. I think that's a unbelievable uh, honor for that guy. He deserves it. Um, you know, not not only this year, but I think over the body of work he's put in with this team organization, the way he's uh, been able to put himself uh, as a guy who just can, you know, jack of all trades, do everything, and can fill in any role, any spot in the lineup. 
and be on winners and be on uh, quite a few World Series teams and a World Series winner, and he's finally getting his due. Yeah, usually an all-star team doesn't recognize a player like Chris Taylor. Usually his own team values him more than an all-star team. But he and Jake Cronenworth from the Padres actually got some love from the all-star committee, whether it's the commissioner's office or the players voting. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, uh, like you said, it's, it's, I'm happy for him. You know, I'm happy for Mookie. I'm happy for Max. Max is playing unbelievable. You know, Mookie is a, is a star. Uh, but, you know, anyone on that team that you can single out that um, deserves it any more than the other, I think you can be in agreement with me that uh, it's nice to have a guy like uh, CT who, you know, like you said, he he doesn't do anything all-star-ish in one thing. He's he's a great player, but, he, you know, he's not putting up those all-star numbers that, you like you just said, would normally get uh, pointed out by your peers or by, you know, and the fans vote even. I am a little suspicious about what the message was from the players that they did not vote Justin Turner, Walker Bueller, or Kenley Jansen onto the all-star team. What's the Andre Ethier, what's the message from players around the league to those three guys? Well, I think in JT's defense, I mean, look look at look at the third baseman he's he's up against, right? I mean, yeah, this but- is a heavy third He's outplayed Arenado. He should have got the fan vote, but why didn't the players vote for him? Well, you guys look at the guy down in San Diego. Machado, he didn't make it. I know, know, but look at the guys you're up against. I mean, you're you're still in votes against guys that are, you know, for the player vote, and I think it's really tough to be um, seen either way. It's, it's It's nothing against JT. I just... You know, when you're going up against and you're diluting that with two great NL West third basemen that are up against oh. each other, I think it's 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 diluting. Uh, you know that vote a lot. You know what I tough. have? You know, it, I feel like fans deserve a pat on the back because for so many years, even before you, during you, and after you, players have said they want more control to get the vote right, and they got it completely wrong putting Mark Melanson, Jake Cronenworth, and uh, whoever else on in front of those three Dodgers. Well, yeah, for sure. And, and I, 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 The players hey, got those, it wrong. All three of those should have been on the board and on that team no matter what. Um, and frankly, Mookie but, shouldn't hey. have made it. Mookie should not be on this team. Yeah, I mean, you know what? It's, it's all debatable, but it's an all-star game. It's not who is playing best at the time. We've seen that over all the years. It's not always he's playing best. It's an all-star game. It's who the fans. It's who they want to see in this game. Um, is it no, right? No, it's it the fair? players. No. The players voted for these people. You know, hey, it's the same thing. It's who they want to see, and that's who they voted for. And and it's hard to argue. Yeah, is, is it fair? Um, are they making a point? I don't know. Um, I think you're it's jealousy. Maybe reading between the lines. It's jealousy. I think you're reading between the lines too much on that fact that. Um, you know, they didn't get, you know, into the game. I think, like you said, you got a division full of a lot of good players. Sandy and them probably splitting votes there. Um, you know, it's tough all the way around. And, you know, I think those guys are, um, and, you know, deserving as the next guy. Are you running and for – I would love to see him. Are you running for office? Are you starting – Not at all. I'm, are you, are you going to be going into politics? Because you really are on the fence this week. You're like Mr. – very, 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 
on the fence this week? No, I'm not on the fence. I, you can't get your entire team voted in. You just can't. I've I mean, seen five or six Dodgers on one team. Yeah, you can if you have good enough players. Yeah, and I hear you. And 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 for this reason, some how someone recognized it different. I, and I can't answer for why that vote. I wasn't in the room. I didn't have a vote. I didn't do any of that stuff. Um, I think you're you know getting to a point where you're splitting hairs. And yeah, is everyone deserving? Did is everyone? Should they be on the team? There's a lot of shoulda, woulda, couldas in this game. Um, and you know what? It's it's tough not to have that all-star vote on your resume as you keep moving forward. But, um, you know, maybe it makes a more hungry Kenley Jensen. Maybe it makes a more, more focused uh, Walker Bueller down the road. Maybe it, you know, puts a little more chip on JT's shoulder than he's already played his whole career. And it leads to what the ultimate goal is, is repeating as World Series champion. So, you know, there's there's stuff you can take after all this. If you feel a little slighted, go out and, you know, show your peers how, um, you know, at the end of the year when you're holding that trophy again, how you're, you know, deserving of that all-star vote and should have been. And, and you know, if, if there is jealousy, show them how you're going out there and you're winning games still and winning championships. It's, I think that's the best way you can do it. It's the all-snub team. That's what it is. It's not the all-star team. It's the all-snub team. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. That's that, that's the route you want to take. But as being a former player and stuff like that, yeah, you feel you know like you might have been slighted. But you know, carry that chip. Be more focused. Keep Kenley hungry. Do all that stuff. Which you know, the games that really matter is that one of the when you're holding the trophy game. And I think that's the most important and, and the focus that I, I can guarantee you that that's what JT's going to say. That's what Kenley's going to say. That's what Walker's going to say. You know, is we're. we're we're working at the, at a 162 into the year goal, not a halfway point goal. Oh yeah, what, what was 2009? Andre Ethier saying the year that you hit 31 home runs. What was what was that snubbed Andre Ethier thinking? I bet he wasn't saying this. I was more focused and wanted to go. Yeah, hey, I was disappointed. I was just, hey, how about in 2000? Was it 12? Same thing, and, and or 15 or something? You know, or that year, same thing. You know, hey, I 100 percent want to, but maybe just more focus showing up and, you know, wanting to prove more and, and go out there and show that you're that type of player. So, um, yeah, it's tough not doing that and not being recognized as your peers, but I guarantee you that these guys aren't going to sit here and, and dwell about it. They're going to, you know, not be sulking. They're going to go up and figure out a way to, you know, get back in the second half and, and get in first place and, and make another great run in the playoffs. And that's, that's all the goal is, is being a Dodger. It's, and, and we talk about this a lot today. It's not. It's not about these individual things. It's. It's about how this team's going to come together and win. And that's the most important thing. I, you know, haven't been at clubhouse in a while, but I know by those few guys in there, a guy like Albert Pujols that's in there right now, his ultimate goal right now is to win a championship. I guarantee you that. It's not just to sit there and add more stats to his Hall of Fame career. It's to win a championship and win a World Series. And that's JT's goal. That's everyone's goal in there, um, you know. Especially if you're on this team right now, that's your goal. All right, the 2009 Andre Ethier that was snubbed after hitting 18 first half home runs, hit 13 home runs the second half of the season with 50 RBIs, and his OPS went from 813 to 936. That seemed like a motivated Andre Ethier to me. And oh, by the way, he hit 298 that second half in 09. So. He's speaking from experience of being snubbed. Yeah, and I, I, I don't think you can argue that, right? Like, 
as a fan, would you rather have a guy be all-star focused or into the season focused? Both. You I know can you be want both. both. Yeah, you want both, but but you know, hey, you want him to sit here on the sulk in the second half? No, oh, I didn't get all-star. I, the, oh, Dave. Oh, oh, you know the guys in the office and back at the radio station they didn't recognize me for having two fans <laughs> listen every every show. No, I'm, I, that, that's a different subject. But I'm just saying they oh, were snubbed. Okay. Oh, all right. Yeah. I love you, Dre. You're the right yeah, guy to yeah. be out there at the draft for nine hours. Enjoy your time. Appreciate you. No, I'm, hey, I am. I'm excited about it. Um, like we we talked about it a while ago. Uh, you know, there's ways I can get back involved with the team and the organization. And if these are them, um, I'm more than excited to be a part in this way. It's uh, you know, it is. It's a, it's an honor to represent uh, the Dodgers any way you can. It's a it's a great organization. It's a great team. Um, it means a lot to. Uh, baseball and it means a lot to fans of LA and um, like I said I'm excited to be a part of it any way I can. Love to see you out there you're the perfect guy for it and we'll talk to you after the all-star break Sounds good talk to you uh, after the break with a little update of and you have to critique uh, I guess my uh, uh, draft selection uh, calling I will, I will, I will critique you and hopefully you come back um, well We'll just leave it there. I like this version of Andre Eth here. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it. (laughs) All right. There he goes. Andre Eth here. And wow, he is Mr. Dodger. He is Dodger blue. He's bleeding it from head to toe these days. How about that? Some breaking news. Andre Ethier will be the representative for the Dodgers during the Major League Baseball draft, which is the Sunday before the All-Star break. And that is coming up uh, two days before the All-Star game. So you'll see him there. I guess that's the new thing baseball is doing, lumping in the draft with the All-Star break. So Andre Ethier will be out there for nine hours on Sunday. Keep your eyes out for him. Thanks to Kevin Gross for being our guest as well. Thanks to you for listening, and we will talk to you after the All-Star break. We've got a week off from uh, taping a podcast. I'll be somewhere in Southern California sipping on a very cold Corona Extra. You can follow me on social media at Officially Vasse on Instagram and at the Real underscore DV on Twitter. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. See ya. We don't have to do anything extra. They've made a choice. This has been the Extra Innings Podcast. Extra Dodger content for Dodger fans who can't get enough of the blue. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't miss a single Dodger game at AM570LA Sports on the iHeartRadio app. 